This is Regenerative Skills, the podcast helping you to learn the skills and solutions to create an abundant and connected future. I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher. New Society Publishers has been a leader in sustainable publishing for over 40 years now. They're an activist, solutions-oriented publisher focused on bringing you tools for a world of change. They've now published over 600 books available both in print and ebooks, as well as an increasing library of audiobook selection as well. They care deeply about both what they publish and how they do business, and so the same thinker and doer approach permeates their in-house work and the books themselves. A certified B Corporation, they print on 100% post-consumer recycled paper, and they are carbon neutral, and they print only in North America, never offshore. And that's just the company themselves. Most importantly, they've got the best selection of books that you need to build your own regenerative ecological or community-based projects. You can check out their full list of titles now at newsociety.com. Hey there, everybody, and welcome back. Now, today I'm going to dive deeper into the broad topic of holistic health and wellness for this ongoing series that I started with Richard Perkins a couple of weeks ago. Now, in this episode, we're going to take a step back and analyze well-being with a perspective from the world of high-performance athletics. Now, I would imagine that for many of you, this probably sounds a little bit off-brand in comparison to my usual focus on ecological restoration and farming, but bear with me. So even though my guest today, Dr. Garrett Kefferstein's studies focused on health and high performance in sports, his work has expanded significantly in his current practice to include a much more holistic view of wellness that touches on the esoteric, social, mental, and other broad contributors to a whole picture of what contributes to our health. Now since we spend the first part of this session going into Garrett's background and studies, I'll keep the intro short by saying that he's a doctor, coach and scientist with many years of national and international experience in professional and competitive sports, as well as the treatment of chronic diseases. He's also the founder and director of the Mojo Institute. Now to give you a small idea of what the Institute is all about, I'll quote from the two beliefs that the Mojo Institute was founded on. Now the first belief is that health is more than the mere absence of disease. We expect more than the health insurance prescribed supply status of sufficient. We want optimal. Our acute medical system is, of course, not designed for this. It performs other tasks. And at this, it is excellent. Nevertheless, there is a need for supplementary offers in the healthcare market, today more than ever. The second belief is that man is not a machine, but a biological being. The body can therefore neither be repaired nor tuned. One just adapts to the challenges of their environment, either positive or negative. And of course, one is dependent on the resources available to them. These are two parameters that we can work on, optimizing the challenges and the resources. So hopefully now you can understand why I was thrilled to get a chance to dive into this holistic understanding of health. But before we get started, you'll probably notice that at the beginning of this interview, we don't just start out as formally as I often do on this show. And that's because Garrett and I kicked off right away in getting to know one another, and he had a lot of good questions for me in the beginning that I wanted to include. And by the time that we got into the line of questions that I had prepared, I figured it was valuable enough to leave it all in. So with all of that said, let's get started from the beginning. Hey there, Garrett. Hello. Great to meet you. How are you doing? I'm, I'm good. Thank you. How are you doing? Can't complain. It's a beautiful sunny day here. 
I'm getting a little bit of a rest from developing my farm, running some errands and stuff. Yeah, take a little yeah. breather. What's the what's the, what's the most important task currently at this time? Well, I'm very early stage, so right now I'm putting up fencing, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of renovations on the house that need to happen before I really start to ramp up the enterprises and start production. All right, and where are you located? I am north of Barcelona in Spain. Are you Spanish also, or no? You... I'm not. My partner is. She's from All Barcelona. Right. Yeah, I moved right. from the U.S. Awesome. Whereabouts in the U.S.? Man, I've lived all over, uh, but I grew up mostly in Minnesota. Hey, I've, I've lived in Wisconsin for two years. Oh, no kidding. You know <laughs> the Midwest. Nashville, Wisconsin, just by the Mississippi. Okay, very nice. Yeah, I love that area. I'm glad to have had the chance to grow up there, but uh, I, I like the warmer weather here, too. It's, it's goddamn cold. Like, it's like the past year. It's challenging. It's challenging. Yeah. My brothers are still there. I got to make some time to go back and visit. But pretty much everybody else has moved away. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Hey, how, how, did you, how did you get into all this regenerative skills, community and projects and regenerative farming? Man, it's been quite a journey. Um, I left high school early thinking that I wanted to kind of forge a different path. I was on a trajectory for art school and I just didn't see the utility in it. I, you know, I wanted to apply art to more, more practical things than just aesthetics. And I was really passionate about learning how to provide for myself without having to make money to pay someone else to do it for me. And, you know, the biggest expense most people are going to come up with in their life is building or living in a home. And if I could avoid a mortgage, what kind of freedom that might afford me in my life. And so my first specialty was in bioconstruction, natural building. I learned how to build with mostly earthen materials. And then I expanded from there into bamboo and, um, and you know, straw bale and those. And in learning how to design holistically healthy living spaces for people with healthy materials from around the area, that got me into permaculture and working with ecologies and building whole living ecosystems for, for optimal health and, and engagement. And that got me more than into ecosystem restoration. I worked with a nonprofit out of the Netherlands for a little while as an ecosystem restoration coordinator. And more and more, I was thinking, you know, most privately owned land, or I guess, you know, most of the world's land at this point is privately owned and most of it is under farming. And so if we're going to have a real impact in increasing the biodiversity and the health of the ecology that we interact with, we're going to have to do so through our food production methods. And that got me into regenerative farming. And I'd worked on farms before then. I had also, um, you know, kind of been on homesteads and a lot of my clients were geared towards this kind of self-sufficient living thing. And so it, it was, a, you know, I already had contacts there, had some experience in working on production farms and then applying concepts of ecology and regeneration to food production methods was kind of how I, I got into this and working with climate farmers and that's how I met Anya and how she put me in touch with you. So that's kind of a long story short. Awesome. What is, what is regenerative farming to you? And like, what's the opposite? Is it conventional farming or do you even think in these terms or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is something that, that comes up all the time for me personally, it's, producing food fuel fiber medicine in a way that increases the carrying capacity for life food, fuel fiber and 
food, fuel, fiber, and medicine. Kind of oh, all of the awesome. things that we produce within agricultural systems, right? I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna write that down. I, I like this. <laughs> I wish I could say that it was original to me. I'm I'm always hodgepodging together other people's good ideas. Well, of course, like good artists, great, great artists steal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fiber. Why fiber? Fiber, because up until recently, when pretty much everything that we wear is created from acrylics and plastics, fiber is the cotton, the wool, the flax, the linen, you know, that creates the, uh, the okay, so not that in, we need. Not in, not in uh, health nut nutrition terms, but more in like textile terms. Okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Textile terms. Building, building materials also, yeah. Yeah, and building materials to a certain degree. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So that's basically everything the world needs, huh? It's the only source of wealth that any nation is built on, right? Because you can you can extract a non-renewable resource to a certain degree, but every time you extract it, you diminish the wealth of the place that it was taken from. So the only real wealth that we can depend on is the living capital, right? The things that we can grow, that we can produce through biological processes. I, I truly believe that. Yeah, I mean, and certainly in historical uh, perspectives, it's like what brought all the great empires to fall, right? When 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 that didn't work out anymore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> By degrading their natural resource base is what collapsed the carrying capacity that they had for populations and civilization. Yeah. 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 But I've also become very interested in a very easy transition for this stuff into. You know, when you start to extrapolate the different ecologies that one works with, the ecology within your own body is a very easy analog to ecologies outside. And I've had my own uh, health journeys that I've really struggled with in my, my early adult years, especially with digestive issues and such, which I'm fortunately coming out of, but still have some repair work to do. And understanding the analogs between uh, biodiversity and the necessity of, of diverse um, life forms within like soil health, as in with our microbiology and, you know, uh, all of these things can be extrapolated out into the macro and the micro. Yeah, definitely. I mean, when we talk about the only source of wealth for a nation. I like that. I like that term. There's also like the only, basically the only core source of wealth for an individual. And that's, that's energy. Absolutely energy attention and health that's that's basically what we're what we're working with like yeah. we, we sometimes forget um, that we are not only this meat vehicle that we drive in here but we're like attentive attentive beings that yeah. are in that are living in these meat vehicles so to speak yeah. and what we what we have to work with is the energy and the attention which directs the energy mm. and Together, that's what we call health in a way. And so when we have when we have the capacity to move our attention in, in, in a way that we see fit, that's very powerful. That's that's what we might call might or being being able to be self-sufficient, self-efficacy. Are you able to navigate and direct your attention in a way that you see fit? And do you have the energy to follow through with where your attention goes? And yeah, that's that's how we look at at health. So that's obviously it's very similar, and um, you you cannot you cannot cut anywhere between between soil and 
human beings and the sun and nature you cannot cut anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. The deeper you go into it, the more you realize how inextricably linked all of these things are and that there is no health within isolation of the the health of the other systems that you are dependent on and that you interact with. Yes. And um, what, what, what brought me to this whole thing was um, being an athlete myself. And I, I played in the University of Wisconsin. I played American football there. I studied. No kidding. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's a serious football program. You must have been good. No, I didn't play for Madison. I played for Platt. Oh. So that's that's Division Three. Okay. <laughs> Even um, still, that's a very demanding sport. I, I played yes. football when I was younger as well. I didn't make it as far as university. Which position did you play? Oh, I, I played a lot of different positions. I moved around. Yeah. yeah. They really make you specialize once you start getting further into high school. And once they made me specialize, I was like, ah, this isn't that much fun anymore. Okay. Yeah. Well, I started as a quarterback in Germany. Um, I was quite athletic, so they put me a quarterback. Um, I was able to throw the ball for German uh, level that was enough, but it wasn't enough for the States level. So I transitioned to a wide receiver just before I got to college and I played wide receiver there. It's a mixture between wide receiver and tight end. At, at one point, they had me gain like uh, 25 pounds to play tight end, and then I transitioned back to go wide receiver. I was yeah. Too big, too big for a wide receiver, too fast for a tight end in a way. So um I was back and forth between those positions. Yeah. And you know, I, I was working with my body and my spirit and my mind focused on me, just developing me as an athlete. And I found how many levers there are. Like there's this lever of like how can we sleep better, how can we regenerate better, how can we eat better or how can I eat better? I was all focused on me at, at first. And then I kind of realized that people started asking me questions. So I started helping them and found what's better for them and they, they improved. And so I started working with athletes, transitioned into personal training. When I came back to Germany, I opened my, my first gym and we had a small gym. Like today there's many of those gyms, like those functional training gyms where you have like uh, AstroTurf in there and kettlebells and so we did this and I built a small team of personal trainers, um, transitioned into pro sports. We supported uh, some of the best pro teams here in Germany, German ice hockey national team and, and some pro ice hockey teams, a little bit working into soccer also and some Olympic sports. So we did all that and we kind of found out how impactful all this stuff is, like just working with, with breathing, working with food, working with uh, sleep and, and all these things and, and mindset. But there were always some people who had real like medical issues. Uh, some players might have had digestive issues or chronic inflammatory issues. And we were able to help them in a way. And then when we sent them to doctors, we kind of like got weird responses back. So they just came back with some form of substance like cortisol or something as just as a medication. And you ask them like, okay, cool. What did the doctor say? Like, how should you eat? Like, what should what should what should you modify? Like, we had our our way of thinking about this whole thing, and we asked like, what did the doctor say about this? And we found that there was a completely different type of thinking in a way. So they just like, oh, we put an injection here, or we put a pharmaceutical intervention here, and I didn't quite understand why that is. And at the same time, 
my grandma, she suffered from Alzheimer's disease, as many old people do, and even more and more people, old people do. And it was the same experience. Like they, she got sent to doctors and they just said, well, take this medication. Okay, cool. So how does that solve the original foundation problem of what Alzheimer's disease is? Well, it doesn't, but you know, we'll, we'll see, maybe she's a little better. But So I was very unhappy from a very emotional and personal standpoint on that front. So that's when I said, well, I'm going to study medicine. I just, I just, I just see what's inside. You know, I'm, I don't want to be frustrated. I, I hate being frustrated. So I just go in there and see what's inside. And maybe there's something I don't understand. So I went inside, started studying. And there were many things I didn't understand. But the core idea stood. Like there's something wrong in medicine. There's something fundamentally wrong. There's something fundamentally wrong how we think about these things, almost from a philosoph philosophical standpoint. And that's the similar thing that I see in farming as well. Because um, we, in, in, in medicine, we tend to look at human beings as if they were a mechanism. Like we have this old idea from René Descartes, like 17th century, 18th century, like the, the human body as a machine. And we, we, especially here in the West, we are educated philosophically, like really in our core, we brought up this way that everything's the mechanism like even when we look in religious terms, like man was made from the dust of the earth out of those pieces put together and then God breathed, uh, breathed life into it. So there's this, we're just the sum of our parts in a way. And then we have this deeply rooted in our spirituality. We have this deeply rooted in our philosophy of enlightenment, Rene Descartes, Immanuel Kant, which is like basically the Western culture is built upon. Well, in the, in, in the East, they have a different way of looking at it. Say, like, I, I grew out of this earth like a plant grew out of a tree in a way. I'm, I'm growing. I'm not I, I not just am in a static way, but I'm growing. So I, I like to see it as a mechanistic versus organic view of life. And I found that, especially when we, when we deal with chronic disease, we have to abandon our mechanistic thinking and we have to switch our thinking to a more of our organic growth, uh, philosophically speaking in terms of growth, um, rather than thinking statically and exchanging tires in a way. So I found that to be really prevalent in medicine, which is super helpful for acute problems. Like I always like to say, I, there's no country I'd rather fall off a ladder than in Germany or the States because like intensive care and mechanistic care is powerful and very good. But um, when, when we have a chronic disease, like we really struggle, like medicine is struggling hard. Like when we look at all those chronic diseases, especially in the last 50, 60 years, when we look at neurodegenerative disease, just like hockey stick curve, let's talk about climate hockey stick, let's talk about health hockey stick, neurodegenerative disease, autoimmune conditions, digestive issues, um, metabolic issues, adiposity, and also neuropsychiatric issues like depression, psychosis, fear and anxiety are just skyrocketing. So I really, yeah, I, I really fell into a big rabbit hole when I started studying medicine. I saw this. I was like, God, we got to do this differently. So that's basically how I, how I got into this. And so, okay, so you came into this from a perspective of trying to optimize your performance as an athlete. Were you at that point studying, uh, you know, athletic health and, and performance or did you have a different way into that originally that then went into your, your medical practice and your understanding of health now? 
Well, I, I started as an athlete myself. I, I studied health promotion in the University of Wisconsin. I, um, I, I um, always read all the books on, on sports training and sports science and nutrition, everything I could soak up. And I met with all the mentors I could meet with. And basically, my, my core interest was how does the human body adapt to its um, environment? Because I always saw this athletic process I always looked at the athletic process as an adaptive process. It's there's an individual organism that you put different stressors on to force a directed response in a way, an adaptation, you like to call it. So I was always so interested in like how do how do humans adapt to their environment? But I always got really interested in evolutionary biology. I, I looked at how do how do different animals adapt, how do fungi adapt, how do bacteria adapt. How did we grow out of basically protozoa, fused ourselves with some something we today call mitochondria, have developed these fascinating abilities of working with oxygen and also without oxygen to, to produce energy, harvest the sun's energy, and then grew, grow a multicellular organism that always finds a way in their niche to harvest energy in a way. I always found that really interesting and fascinating, and, and that's how I always looked at the adaptive process in, in in training and in sport. And I was so excited to go into medicine because I thought we're gonna learn the same philosophy just applied to how how do how does disease, how like how how does it go wrong? Like where does the adaptive process go wrong in a way? But we never talked about the adaptive process, not even once. So I was that's why I thought, okay, why is that? So I always try to bring back this evolutionary perspective, this adaptive perspective, this energetic perspective, because Fundamentally, I think it all starts with energy. You know, like we, it's at some point it, it made a big bang. Maybe there's something before it. We don't know, but that's how far we can look. You know, everything exploded in a way. At first there was light, boom, and then it exploded. Things like dust particles came together, we formed planets, and then we have the sun. And, and right now, everything we have on this planet is energy from the sun in a way. Either it's stored energy in the form of lava, hydro, like thermal geothermic activity, but everything we have is from the sun. The plants take that and they store the biophoton energy of the sun into the plants. The animals eat that. And there's also many more microscopic processes that you are more knowledgeable about than I am. But like the, the animals eat those plants, then we got carbs, we got fats, we got proteins, we consume them. And, and basically, what a human being does is just release the energy of the sun in their cells and work with that. So we can make it a lot more complicated than that. Yeah, but the basics that's really it. do boil down to that, yeah. But that's it. And, and yeah. we have this light, and we can direct this light in, in a way of moving our attention. And then we can use this energy to, in a way modify entropy again and like form uh, sandhills or seed some plants here so we have more energy in the future and, and that's how i see this whole process right now like there's the sun there's the plants there's the soil there's the, there's the animals there's us and, and we just we transform energy and that's what we do and when we, when we get stuck in a way i think that's how disease develops and uh, if, you, if you really look at it in really broad terms sure I'm curious how your view of health and your role for your clients has evolved, especially since your studies and then now in your work as you're applying it in a more active way and perhaps a little further removed from academia. Yeah. So when I when I 
when I understood this, what goes wrong in medicine, I said, we have to, we have to create a role model because like we can talk all day long about how things should be done and we can be frustrated all day long, but you got to see it and to believe it in a way. So I said, we, we, we have to create something that is viable, that, that works, that is, that people can finance and that's in a way teachable to other people. So those are basically our three rules. Like it has to be like, there has to be efficacy. There has to be uh, economic responsibility in there, and you have to be scalable in where you have to be able to teach what you do. So we said we got to create a role model, and so 2020 we founded the Mojo Institute. Um, Mojo is Life's Energy, and the Institute is an institute that concerns with Life's Energy and how we get to get it to circulate again. And we put together a team of physical therapists, sports scientists, psychologists, medical doctors. And we started to build a role model of how medicine should be done for chronic disease. I think medicine, medicine is great for acute disease, but medicine, how it should be done for chronic disease, that's what we created here. So rented part of a, um, part of a pretty big um, castle, and we made it, it's, it's a side, side wing of that castle. We rented it. We have, um, what is it, 500 square meters, three to 500 square meters, depending on what you count into it. And we apply a very holistic model of how medicine should be done, where people come to us with their struggles. And the first thing we want to try to create for them is an environment. So we always think a lot, a lot about environment, right? So we want to create an environment where they feel safe and where they feel hopeful, where, where, they, can, where they create hope. So we don't want to, like, we identify it like in, in, in in, in, in a hospital, it's not a place of hope in general. And it doesn't have to be. It's a very acute situation. But for the chronic disease, we have to create something that's, that's an environment that creates hope. We always look at chronic disease at processes like they're very stuck. It's almost like you have like your lever stuck in a big ship and it doesn't move at all. And, so, and that's very frustrating and hopeless for people. And the first thing we try to create is a little bit of wiggle room in that. Uh, we call this a change of perspective in a way. And, and with that wiggle room, we can create levers that we can work with. So it's the environment. It's the first change of perspective, which we try to create through work with our coaches or our doctors. So it's always this the way of being with our clients that creates those perspective changes. But then we also go and like complete diagnostic processes. We look, we look at like, it, like you look at the soil, like what does the soil need? What's the pH of the soil? What's the micronutrient status of the soil? Are there enough fungi in there to transport all this energy and all those micronutrients? And we look at the same the similar process, we look at the human body. And basically we look at three systems. We look like, how does the nervous system uh, perceive and transport and direct energy? How does the immune system perceive, transport and direct energy? And how does the uh, metabolism perceive, transport and direct energy? Because all those three systems, they are the main energy managing systems in the human body. The metabolism, the metabolism's role is to release the sun's energy out of the plants and the food matter. And when we have digestive issues, this doesn't go right. The immune system has to basically create an outer shell between the self and the non-self. And if there's energy leakage, we get problems. And the, the nervous system directs the energy. And when we get stuck with our attention at certain things, we don't have this energy to use for other things. So when we talk about chronic fatigue or 
psychoses and depressions. That's what we're talking about there. So we're looking at those three systems and then educate the patients on what their what their part in, in, in this whole life's mystery is and how they can um, get out of this hopeful situation, create hope, move the levers again, and then navigate out of this like a, like a good sailing trip. <laughs> that's, so that's what we do. I really like these analogies. And it's, it's very interesting for me to hear you use the metaphors of how we look at soil to diagnose health because we are very often using medicine <laughs> as our reference when we make the analogies of how we look at different metrics in the soil like we often talk about doing triage as if we were in a hospital like can your soil breathe first what is analogous to a heartbeat or or a, uh you know the microbiome in our gut how does that look like in the soil it's very interesting to hear that swap places yeah now, fantastic yeah from your website to kind of build on this i've seen the description of various doctors and the role that they play in people's health. So like Dr. Nutrition or Dr. Cole, Dr. Breath or Sleep, how many of those do you use? And, and what is the, the reason for adding the name doctor in front of them to illustrate a point? Yeah, so we've talked about this and we got through this really quick because you've been in this philosophy of thinking for like maybe the last 15 years. So we can, we can really just... I can just use a word and you have a whole world of it behind, right? But like when there's a typical patient coming in, maybe it's for the first time in his life that he was confronted with this way of thinking. So we have to look at like, how do we transport information concisely and precisely that it inspires, that it transpires of what to do with that information and that it basically transpires in their life because they come here they spend two or three hours here, sometimes weekly, but most people come here for two or three hours and they leave us again. Um, so what can we do to really plant something in their lives? Again, using the soil thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we want to we plant a seed that something grows out of. So we always love simple analogies and metaphors. And one of those things that we came up with to really address how much power every single person has into their health is we came up with this idea of six doctors and basically we we stole it and refined it a little more. It's not our original idea. Many people have done that before. But we found it works really, really well in the communication with people. So what we say is, especially for people with chronic disease, they've been to this doctor and this doctor and this doctor, and they have this frustration that no doctor can help. We teach them, look, we're not going to be the next doctor that's not going to help you. We're going to change this whole perspective. We're going to teach you how are you going to activate and use the six doctors that are always going to be with you? And those six doctors are <laughs> Dr. Food, that's one. Dr. Sleep, that's two. Um, Dr. Um, how, do, how do I translate it correctly? Doc, Dr. Nature Forces. So we put like sunlight, warmth, cold. That's Dr. Nature, basically. Dr. Nature Forces. Okay. Um, then Dr. Movement, that's four. And now there's two a little more special. The next one is Dr. Connection. Dr. Connection, and we say there's two types of connections. There's this vertical connection between my, my brain, my body, my soul. And then there's this horizontal connection between myself and other. So oh. that, can be, that can be others, like other humans, that can be other animals and plants, but then can, that can also be concepts like my connection to money. 
because there can, there can be like there can be war and conflict. And when I live in war and conflict, it's very difficult to heal. Like really, from a biochemical perspective, we teach them like if you if your nervous system lives in conflict, you produce adrenaline. If you live in peace, you produce acetylcholine. Adrenaline inhibits growth and regeneration. Acetylcholine activates stem cells and furthers your regeneration. So we have to get at peace with all the conflicts that we live in. So that can be, again, it can be connections with other humans, animals, plants, earth, but also it can be conflicts with concepts like um, career, money, family, or God. So we help them to really conceptualize this and understand this and then work with them to get at peace with those things. And the, the last doctor, doctor number six, is Dr. Story. Dr. Story is the story that I tell myself about my past, my present, and my future. We have this story at all times. And for some people, it's a very nihilistic story. It's a hopeless story. And we, we try to help them and reformulate that story into a powerful hero story. Because all, all types of recovery stories are always hero stories. And when you look at all the great movies of the world, Batman, Indiana Jones, they're all hero stories in a way. And if you turn off that movie at half point, it's always shit. Like at half point, like Batman is in this deep cave, Indiana Jones in the cave getting chased, getting chased by like, a huge stone ball. Um, that's the whole, that's how hero stories are always in the middle of it. And that's why we try to, to, to communicate those people. Like you come here because you're in the, you're in the middle of your hero story. We know the first half, we know where you're now, but what's the next half going to be like? And that's Dr. Story. So those are the six doctors that everybody constantly has with them. And they are constantly using them. So it's not a question of whether they are using them. They are using them. Everybody's using them, but just in a different way. So for example, light. Everybody uses light. I can use the light of the sun, or I can use the light of my laptop and my phone. You know, sleep. I sleep or I don't sleep. I sleep on the bed or a couch or... You know, I, I do this. A doctor story, I always think in a way. I always tell a story. It just depends on what type of story you're telling. So that's how we how we try to teach them. Like it's not a question of whether you use them, but just how you use them. And you you can use them in a way that they're going to help you to regenerate. And you can help them. You can use them in a way that they help you to destroy yourself and, and not, not regenerate yourself. So that's how we use those six doctors. And it's just basically it's a communication strategy to to help them discover and be inspired for what's behind. I can see that being a very effective tool in creating a common language that helps people jump through some maybe preconceived notions or lack of understanding before so that you can communicate about the potential about where they may, may go. And especially when it comes to the story where you talked about there last, I would imagine that the cultural stories that we tell ourselves probably inform our personal stories quite a bit. And I'm under the impression that our cultural stories about what sort of health is possible, uh, what is good for you, what you should be doing with your time, how you should treat yourself and others could either be a real accelerator or a complete impediment to finding out what the, the limits of your health could be. Have you noticed this in the different cultures that you've interacted with and perhaps how it informs the stories that clients come to you with? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, the cultural experience really is powerful in forming our personal story, um, and the cultural experience is almost like, in a way, 
it's rooted in how we explain the origins of life. I mean, we can all say maybe we're, we're religious, or some people might say, no, I'm not religious. But even non-religious people, they have an explanation to the question of why. Like the why here, the why is this, why is this, how did this come about? Like when we look cause and effect lines, when we follow cause and effect lines all the way to the first cause, everybody has an explanation for it. So when we define God as just the first cause that we come up with, everybody believes in God. But for everybody, it's some different God. Like some, some people have something that we might call a nihilistic story, or there's no cause. Well, that's your cause. Like that's, that's also a form of God. And I see very intensely how these different stories of cause and effect really inform the way we behave in life and how we navigate through life. So there's this aspect of, in the, in the broadest terms, spirituality, which I would just at this point just define as what's your first mover, like what's the cause without a cause, the prime mover, that's your God. From there, you build your story, and that's basically culturally informed. Most people don't even know their God, but they still have one, and that's how that's that's culturally informed. And then it's also family upbringing. Family plays like a huge role, um, and how in those first years of life we are primed. We are not set for life, obviously, but we are being primed. Like, what is my purpose in life? And that gets informed by our sense of belonging, our sense of connection. Like no other human, no, no other life form comes into this world as vulnerable as the human. Like even like a baby giraffe, which is like the highly developed mammal, they, they drop out of the womb and basically they can run. But like a human, a human baby needs like nurturing and care for like at least the first two, three, four, five, six years. And then we can maybe talk about he would survive by on its own if we think in Mowgli terms in a way. But we are so dependent. We are so dependent. And in this dependency, we learn our first moves how to navigate in this world. Because the only thing we care for in those first years is connection. So I'm looking for connection with my mom. I'm looking for connection with my father. Like everybody's there. I want connection, connection, connection. And I'm going to sacrifice everything else for connection. For example, when I hurt myself, maybe my tummy hurts or my knee hurts or something happened in life, and I cry. Maybe I'm two years old or three years old. I cry, I cry, I cry, I cry. And then my father or my mother like, gives me a sign of basically they're removing this connection in a way like, hey, uh, you got to behave and you got to calm down. And when you calm down, I'm going to take you in again. So what does this teach me? It teaches me I'm going to sacrifice my own feeling of pain for connection. And then I grow older in life, and I'm always going to have this pattern stored if I don't reassess it. I'm always going to have this pattern stored. I'm going to grow through life always avoiding looking into my personal pains and preferring the connections to others especially when I don't understand what the growth process and the growing up process and the becoming the adult process means. Many different cultures have really intense, important rituals for this growing of age process because that's, that's a deciding turning factor in how this connection thing evolves. Because when I'm a, a, when I'm a baby, 
I sacrifice everything else for connection. I sacrifice my own authenticity for connection. But when I'm an adult, I don't have to do this anymore. Now I can create out of my own authenticity, out of my own colors of my being, I can create my connections as I see fit. I can go closer, I can go more distant. I'm not dependent anymore. And that's what I see in this culture a lot. People not having done this growing up process, not understanding that they are not dependent anymore. And therefore they sacrifice their own authenticity and their own life juices to, to, to keep up connections which are not healthy in a way. So rather than teaching them to, well, you've got to cut your connections, that, that's not what we do, but like teach them this process, develop their authenticity, and then reassessing all the connections that they go in with others and other um, to really make those two symbiotic relationships. Here again, we're talking about soil and plants again. One exercise I like to do with people is go through all the five major relationships they have, like maybe father, husband, career, money, like others and other. And then from this, on the scale of zero to 10, define for me, please, how parasitic or symbiotic is this relationship in energy terms? Mm. And that's where we start can, can start to work with. Like some people say, well, it's a three. And then I ask them, like, why not a two? Why not a four? And then you can work with this. And that's how I, that's how I work with this connection idea. But that's coming back to your question like do we see those cultural stories develop through family and through individual lives definitely and understanding that story where we come from spiritually culturally and from a family upbringing really gives us the ability to free ourselves and 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 build symbiotic relationships and get into a creator mode it sounds to me from everything you just said that you, like me, have experienced as you've started to work with clients who probably come to you for very specific health-related things, you end up taking on a much bigger coaching and maybe even a therapist role as you dig into the root causes of actually what's behind the symptoms that they uh, were, were the prompts that, that brought them to you. I've done the exact same thing with people who ask for, you know, how can I set up a profitable farm on this this piece of land or how can I improve my soil health right these are symptomatic aspects of things that often tend to be much more deep-seated and you are then prompted to go into things like uh, worldview cultural learnings uh, emotional health and other things that perhaps from the outside seem unrelated but could really be the key to unlocking the results that they may be looking for in a tangible sense and with that in mind, you know, how has this manifested into, I guess, a process? So, okay, maybe we'll play this out as a, as a practical example. Someone comes to you saying that they have digestive issues. I can use this one because I've, I've struggled with digestive issues for such a long time previously. How do you start to understand what's really behind this? What are the diagnostic tools? What are the questions? What are the considerations? that help give you a more informed idea of how you might be able to intervene or help that person help themselves to get the results they're looking for? Yeah, great question. Um, I definitely see it this way as well. 
I, I, I drew up a short scribble. I don't know if people listening on Spotify or anything, they, they might not be able to see it, but here's a short scribble. And that's basically describing our life's paths and our life, life's choices. Like sure. when somebody comes to, like at this well, point, comes real to quick, it's, it's a branching pattern, right? It's what you would see yeah. in the delta of a river or in a leaf as the yeah. veins start to fracture out into the smaller ones. But go ahead. Yes, yes, perfect. Um, so let's let's stick with the river analogy. So they, they come to this, they come here, they have this small stream. That's how we meet them, right? And then we can see, like, is it enough for them to just go this? Like, maybe it's it's, it's a small intervention, it's a small quick fix. And why shouldn't we use those small interventions if that leads them to the desired goal? But often people who seek me and probably people who seek you, they've done this. Like they, they've tried it on this surface level. They've, they've tried the last two or three different uh, paths. They, they tried this. But mostly, we got to go back all the way here and then take a different route at this core here, at this big branch, like 500 miles down from where we came. We call it the path of the omega. The path of the omega, I'm, I'm going to draw an omega symbol or the Greek letter omega. Mm-hmm. And we tell them, look, you came here and now you're stuck. You can't go forward to where you want to go. And you've beaten your head this direction. What we're going to do is we're going to dive a little deeper. And it's going to feel at some point like we're not even talking about the problem anymore. Or even and that you're moving backwards. Or yeah, you feel like you're moving backwards. And you actually are moving backwards. And then you're moving away from how you initially approached us. Mm-hmm. And then at that point where you feel like you can't even go further away from how you initially came, that's exactly that point. And that's how when you start, start to slide down the path again, and then you feel like you're not a lot further, but you are. Like it's the only way to move forward. So that's that's what we call the path of the Omega. And um, yeah, um, but from a practical perspective, we don't force that on anyone, you know? We always go simplest things first, quick fixes first, but we often jump through those first three, four, five levels because they say, well, I've tried this, I've done this, I've done this, you know, I've been to this doctor, I've tried this supplement, that's not my issue. And then from there, we go to different levels. And from a very, pers- even more practical, somebody comes to me with a digestive issue. We have a, a period of 30 to 60 minutes where we talk about the history. And in that history, I'm looking for signs and symptoms of what your nervous system, immune system, and metabolism are trying to do with the basic assumption that your body is very intelligent, way more intelligent than I am, and even more intelligent than you are. There is an um, evolutionary biologist um, he's called Leslie Orgel. He was, basically. And he had certain rules for evolution. And they're meant to be funny also. The second second rule of Leslie Orgel is evolution is smarter than you are. So let's talk, for example, uh, autoimmune condition. People treat autoimmune conditions as, as if they're uh, mistakes of evolution. But autoimmune conditions are not mistakes of evolution. In an autoimmune condition, the body does everything exactly as it's supposed to be. But there are some environmental factors that can misdirect the immune system. And the immune system is trying to help you. Don't work against it, work with it. 
And similar things also in digestive issues. The digestive tract usually does just as it's intended to do, but we sometimes don't treat it as it's evolutionary meant. Like we eat too fast. Like, for example, eat too fast. Like then there's... <laughs> That's something I chronically do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. See, like when we eat too fast, there's like thunks of food falling in our stomach and in our small intestines and the enzymes can't do their work. And then the enzymes in the small intestine can't do their work because it's still too chunky and clunky. And then we get too big of a particle into the colon and then it gets inflamed there. And when, you know, like we, we, we are just not, um, we're not just, we're, we're, sometimes we're not respectful enough of what our body has been made to do over 1.7 million years at least. And when, when we come back to uh, addressing that, like autoimmune conditions, mostly our immune system just tries to fight stuff that's not supposed to be in our bodies. You know, like food that we eat that's not supposed to be there or toxins that shouldn't be there or parasites that shouldn't be there. Um, and why does our immune system not get rid of it? Like, why does it just kill it? Yeah, because maybe our soil is not full of nutrients. Like most people that we work with are very nutrient deficient. So we look at all of this, like, like I said, first 30, 60 minutes is just, you tell me your story and I just write and listen and, and, and look for signs and symptoms of what your body is trying to do there. What is your body trying to do? I don't give too much on your personal interpretation of it. That's your, that's your doctor's story. I try to look from my evolutionary medical lens, what I feel that your body is trying to do there. And then after that 30, 60 minute period, I try to retell that story to you and, and say, hey, listen, Oliver, I think your body's trying to do this and that. And, and that's how this le led to this and this how led, led to this. That's 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 my story. Do you kind of like agree that we have a hypothesis here, at least that we can work with? Hmm. And, from, and from there, we go into the diagnostic part. You know, I, I do the regular doctor stuff, listening to uh, the heart and the lungs and maybe an ECG, we look for reflexes. Like now I'm looking really for signs. Like is there reddening somewhere? Is there tension, distension? We're talking about digestive issues. Do I feel hardening somewhere? Do I, do I hear, do I hear the movement of the gut? Where, where, where do I not hear it? And do I see any signs in the mouth of maybe some inflammatory processes? Is the nose swollen shut because of immune conditions in the digestive tract? Yeah, and then we go into more specific diagnostics, like in terms of nervous system, we analyze the so-called heart rate variability, which says something about your vegetative state, like in what part of the adaptive process is your body. From there, we can see, is your body stuck basically in trauma mode, freeze mode, is it in stress mode, or is it in regenerative mode? We can see that from the vegetative state. And then we look at micronutrients. We have tools here where we can screen for micronutrient deficiencies right here in, in a couple of minutes, but we also have many, many labs that we work with. We send the blood to look for specific things. Like we don't go overkill on the labs. Like um, we try to keep it really precise and concise and look for really specific things that we, as part of our hypothesis, have our hunches that we might find something there. Um, yeah, and, and in terms of metabolism, we also um, use a spirometry, it's called. It, it measures like 
what's your metabolism of oxygen and CO2, and from that we can we can deduct mitochondrial function and how your body metabolizes energy and creates ATP energy, uh, and also what type of fuel do you consume? Like, do you need fats? Do you need protein? Do you need carbs? Yeah, and, and com combine all this, and and from there we create a strategy. And we go into the intervention right away. So on the first first date, they come here. We, we right away we start with something. Either we teach them something about food practically, or we start breathing exercises, or we go workshopping on Dr. Story, um, or we do exercise. We we start right away. Yeah, and I would imagine too that having a very broad overview understanding of things can give you insights into what may actually be behind the symptoms that, that someone is struggling with, despite how they describe them or despite, you know, initial thoughts or, or assumptions about what it might be. And the other thing too, of if, course, I can just, if I could just say something there, yeah, by uh, all means. Dr. House has the saying, everybody lies. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of like misanthropic. Um, and I, but I see it similar, but not in a misanthropic way. I see it in a very lovely way that, um, if the story people told themselves about their health was correct, they wouldn't be here. So yeah. there, at, some, at some point in that story, there's something at least missing or some misinterpretation of it or something that they don't see. So I always assume that the story they tell me is not the fully complete story. So. Sure. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. And, you know, I guess... I kind of wanted to take a step back because we're talking about health as if it's one thing, which it definitely isn't. I mean, it's extremely subjective. And I'm wondering how you can help a person to discover the keys to unlocking their own health if there's different goalposts for each person. Or maybe I'm making an assumption that's incorrect. Maybe it is more standard and the differences are smaller than I'm making them out to be. No, you, you bring up a really important point. Um, health doesn't exist without something to strive for. Like we tell people, for example, somebody, somebody comes in here and says, I have back pain. I want to get rid of my back pain. What for? What do you want to do? Like, what, what are you not able to do right now? Yeah. I mean, sometimes we find that people have nothing. They just want to get rid of the pain and that's very difficult to do to just get rid of the pain without anything to strive for that you want to do when you're pain-free so that's a very important point that you that you bring up i like the term fitness um from an ontological point of view because fitness to, is to fit it fits into a specific niche like I don't, I'm not talking about fitness in terms of six pack and Instagram. That's not the type of fitness, but like really evolutionary fitness. You're fit for a task, a specific task in a specific environment. And you're completely right. Health is just that. Like you, you are very well adapted for a specific thing that you want to do with your life. Completely agree. There are evolves over someone's lifespan too like yes. perhaps when they're younger they're striving to be an elite athlete whereas later in life they may be more geared towards let's say uh calming down peace and maybe mental acuity and it's the exact same person and i mean the body may have evolved a little bit but that changes the goalposts as well definitely definitely and that's that that's something to do also with like uh, being able to let go of old roles you brought in a great example. Like so many professional athletes, when they stop the career, they, they struggle. 
and maybe get depression and lost lost sense of identity. Mm. And just like you said, um, using that that attention and that energy that you have available, you're not going to put that into ice hockey practice anymore, five, six, seven days a week. But but where are you going to put it? Like, are you going to do it like some of the Italian soccer players just buy a wine farm and become like a wine sommelier? Yeah, well, great. That's and for especially for athletes, you can use that same intensity and that same competitive spirit in any other realm of life. Like you can you can you can be the best guy to write short stories and learn from the best in the world how to write short stories and just be great at that. You can you can have your dad role in a very similar way. And I completely agree. Um, I would add though that there are some like um, general factors. And one of those main general factors, I would say, is energy. Yeah. Um, because when there's a lack of energy, there's not many, like your, your range of things. Let's, let's, let's say it this way. Maybe health is the range of things that you can do. And fitness is like how well adapted to a specific niche are you then? Okay. Like, yeah. Especially with, with energy, like the range of things you can do really shrinks down. Like with lack of energy, like really biological energy in terms of ATP, our body at an optimum produces between 80 and 300 kilograms of ATP per day. And if that's just not the case anymore, our range of possibilities shrinks down. Like we cannot be as athletic as we want to be, but that's for most people, for most general people, that's not the main issue. But maybe our brain doesn't function the way we want it to be anymore. We cannot focus the way we want it to do. We cannot we cannot even sleep the way we want to do. We cannot even keep our eyes open the way we want to do. We cannot participate in conversations the way we do. We always feel dissociated, like it's the, like a fog fog of war between us and the world. And th those are all signs of real like shrinking energy capabilities. And and that's just some really general factor. Pain is also a very general factor. Like pain really limits your possibilities of what you can do with your life. So those like energy and pain, those are probably the two main components where I say those are really general. And, uh, they they just yeah they narrow they narrow your possibilities. And I I'd, I I wish for people to have their whole life uh, as little pain as possible and as much energy as possible <laughs> and uh, that's how we try to do things and mm -hmm. yeah and how that's felt and how that's used might be very different per person but those commonalities can be connective among pretty much anyone's goal for for health in their lives i would suppose it also makes me think again back to all of these analogies that we do with ecology i've learned to describe and talk about soil less and less about soil health and more about soil function because for the same reason what are you trying to do with that soil right most at least in agricultural applications they're trying to grow something and you may be working with the same base mineral across a number of different fields but the biological communities the level of compaction the aggregates the ability to absorb moisture are going to be need needed to be tailored somewhat to produce a healthy crop. And it's not going to be the same uh, soil function in a wheat field as it is an agroforestry system or a diverse pasture for animals, right? Uh, I think that's very similar to what you were describing a second ago. 
So would it would it be uh, sensible uh, in in soil to to speak to speak of both, like to speak of soil health in a way that like that's the range of possibilities that you can do with that soil, and and, and I see function and fitness very very similar, like the, yeah. the function. Yeah. So we have this health idea, we have this function idea, which I can totally relate to in medicine. I think there's this broad category of health, which is heavy energy and pain free, and broads the range of capabilities and possibilities. And then you have obviously this this functional aspect. I don't, I get it with soil. Is there something like a broad health aspect of it to soil as well? See, I got to work on that a little bit because as you were speaking about this, I was trying to think. Well, what are the correlations between energy and pain in soil? Right. Um, I, I don't know exactly. I'm sure somebody in the audience will probably write me about this later and come up with some ideas. I'd love to hear them. This, uh, this but is, I, I got to work on that a little myself. Does a soil have energy? Like really, when we talk energy in form of stored stored biophoton energy of the sun, like it, it's it's in hydro hydrocarbons. That's yeah. where it's basically mostly stored. Yeah. Um, is it is it? Can we talk about a caloric content of soil? Is that some, something that's sensible, or is it mostly anorganic matter? Again, I'm not like that much of a soil scientist that I could really break that down. I think oftentimes the commonalities in in generally healthy soil can be brought down to the capacity to hold on to moisture, which is specifically related to the organic compounds, the, the carbon, um, soil organic matter that is in there, since that is the main sponge. And then when it comes to actually cycling these things, it's almost always dependent on the metabolisms within the organisms that reside there, which is dependent on the, the presence of moisture, but also mm -hmm. photosynthesizing plants above ground, right? Because they're putting the photosynthetic energy in the form of root exudates that then feed the microbiology that cycles these things and exchange materials, nutrients, minerals within those plants. So, you know, I'm, I'm, Trying to That's really like the moisture thing sounds like a very general aspect, right? Like I think the, the moisture is the most general one that I can speak to, right? Yeah, because yeah. though that photosynthetic energy needs to make its way down there, it can't do so, and certainly no life can exist without the presence of moisture. And it's one of those kind of self-feeding loops, right? As more organic matter is built up through the well, the life cycle of the microbes and the exit that's put in through plants it increases its ability to hold on to moisture and for it to infiltrate from, from the surface down. Um, but yeah, that's that's how I would think about it. And I would need to go a little bit deeper, but again, I'm not a specialist in these. I really look at the patterns, very similar to what you were talking about earlier. Like I've, I've gotten good at seeing a lot of the external factors within ecological dynamics without necessarily specializing in the biochemistry that's happening within the soils quite yet. Well, yeah, I mean, in the creative process, uh, you always have this jump between general and specific, general specific. Yeah, always. <laughs> yeah. It feeds Micro, itself. Macro, yeah. yeah I'm, 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 I've been working with some farmers in the area because I, I like to talk to them about what I see in patients, you know, like, and one of those micronutrient deficiencies that I see the most probably is magnesium. That's basically a no-brainer. But what I see more and more is salt. And one of the farmers in the area said that he, he discovered the same thing with, with, with his soil and his plants and his uh, cows, that the, the salt content of the soil is steady, 
but the cow's milk has reduced soil content. So he, he uses the straw from his own farm, mm-hmm. feed to the cows and the grass to feed to the cows. So the soil has enough salt, the grass we don't know, and the cow's milk has a lot less salt. Because mm-hmm. I discovered that people are salt deficient. Um, so maybe like, what, what are your thoughts there? Is there, are there like any ideas or ways to also measure and understand this? Yeah, I would need to know more about that. But I'm also curious how you can start to diagnose these deficiencies in people. Because, well, for one thing, magnesium deficiency is one of the main things I suspect of my current issues. But uh, salt, I hadn't heard about that one as much. Oftentimes what we talk about in, in having this manifest in, in crops and in, in the end product from agriculture is there being some sort of a disconnection between the metabolization of the nutrients in the soil actually being available to the plants. And this is usually connected to a degradation of the microbiology within the soil, making it available and having those beneficial interactions in which these compounds can be exchanged with the plants. So very often what we talk about is when you get a soil test, it is a very inaccurate picture of what the plant is actually making use of. Those those minerals, those compounds may be present in the soil, but it does not mean that they are getting to the plants themselves. How far along is the diagnostic um, capability right now in the scene of regenerative farming to really understand what's really going on because in, in medicine we have the blood test right the blood test the classic gold standard i would probably correlate the blood test uh, uh as the classic soil nutrient test like you have the soil ph wow. potassium, that, that's that would basically. be the sap analysis what's that that would actually be the sap analysis sap right so if you're doing blood analysis for people right we're saying we're trying to get the results in the crops themselves not necessarily just in the base compounds of what's in the soil so the big breakthroughs in the last, I would say, 10 years have been in sap analysis. And the sap analysis compared with the soil analysis will tell you how much of the nutrients and the minerals in the soil are actually making it into the plant themselves. Okay, great, cool. So the soil analysis is the food analysis. So when I know there's this, this micronutrient, that type of food, yeah. that's the soil analysis. When I do yeah. the blood test, it's the sap analysis. You know? Yeah. But, but even that, even that, like we talked about the specific issue here with salt. Um, for example, in the blood, we don't see anything because mo- mo- not not everything, right? because many many nutrients are stored within the tissues and they're not in the blood. Sure. So, right, and the, and the body has a high priority of keeping the blood levels of certain nutrients very stable. Right. So he's not, he's not going to sacrifice magnesium or vitamin B in the in the blood. Yeah. He's going to sacrifice magnesium from the bone. He's going to give that to you over years. And you're going to be have osteoporosis and fractures way before you have blood deficiency of magnesium, and, you know. And and, and yeah. you look at all yeah. that. I don't know. I don't know how much of these compounds are stored in the cells and not actually mobilized through the sap. In in comparison with that analogy you made with blood in our own tissues, uh, that mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you. That'd be worth looking into. Because I talked to to Anya, our, our common friend, yeah. about ways of basically looking at our soil. From a very holistic perspective, how far along is that to just look at the soil from holistic, like fungi and also like bacteria, microbiome of the soil? How far along is this diagnostic? Oh, I mean, I think comparison to the study of the human body, we're in an infant stage of understanding soil. I hear this mm-hmm. from the soil scientists that I speak with. 
talking about how this is an extremely dynamic sector where there are new discoveries and connections being made all the time and that the literature that came out on this stuff maybe five years ago is already becoming irrelevant and that there are some really exciting frontiers that are you know just barely scratching the surface of what's being talked about and certainly haven't made their way into the agronomist circles or to farmers themselves yet so there is a lot of learning to be done here man i'm so excited i'm so i'm so, I'm so excited about also this possibility of bringing those two ideas and those concepts and those people closer together because what you're yeah. trying to do in holistic medicine, what you what you're trying to do in regenerative farming, it's the same, the same thing. Yeah. And when we when we when we can teach people to understand their soils better, not only their body as a soil, but also their really soils, the, to get into connection with local people, with local farmers, to understand the food chain, also the, the also the challenges of the food chain. And as you said in the beginning of this interview, how did you say it? Um, yeah, food, fuel, fiber, and medicine. That's the only source of wealth for any nation and we grow it right into our in our soils and like when people understand those problems a lot more they will understand also their own medical issues a lot more and that's such a huge important gap to really close to really bridge that gap yeah i completely agree now my struggle or at least the way that i am approaching this is that as we go deeper and deeper into the microbiology and the chemistry and the deep science of this stuff it actually serves oftentimes to obscure or make less approachable this information for the people who are actually managing mm -hmm. landscapes. As I would imagine, you could see a correlation with people who are like, okay, well, all of these micronutrients and, and behaviors, like what does that mean for my lifestyle? How do I actually get better, right? This is the way I see it, uh, having a disconnect to farmers and like, okay, well, okay, maybe there's a, a salt or a magnesium deficiency, but what does that mean for... Uh, production and profit so that I can stay in business, right? And so I've tried to bridge that as best I can through interviews like this, through exploration and communication with our farmer communities is like, okay, we're making all of these incredible discoveries. We're understanding these on smaller, smaller levels all the time. But what does this mean for you practically? How can yeah. you use this information to make changes in your life to improve your farm business and actually move into a very dynamic future where this information is increasingly relevant? Yes, that's the that's a practical approach. Um, I, I, I think that's what we need. Like we have in medicine and I imagine in agriculture as well, we have so many experts that look at reductionist micro level, they look for yeah. this receptor and this targeted pharma, pharmaceutical drug that's specifically going to block this receptor and it's going to be helpful for multiple sclerosis if it only costs $150,000 or yeah. many, many people do that. They want to patent this. That's not what we need. Like we need, we need the first two or three steps. We don't need like step 87. We don't, we don't care. Like we need a practical approach. What I really enjoy um, is this field of praxeology. Praxeology is basically a scientific method, um, a scientific method for practical people, um, because the scientific method is very powerful. I love it, but you can get lost. And praxeology is the science of how to do shit now, like mm -hmm. the, the science of, of how do people decide and act really, like not on a theoretical level, but like how do people really decide uh, what to do, and how can we define and decide what to do next? And I, I think we really got to keep it to that simple level. When we talk about farming, medicine, 
I think one community that has the same vibe, talks about the same things, is the Bitcoin community. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> I mean, I mean that, that might be a sideways hit right now, bringing up that, that term. There's many like emotions involved in that term. Uh, Bitcoin, mm. people think about the financial investment, money, oh, no, 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 money. No, no. Bitcoin as a philosophy and the people behind it, they have the same ideas and same goals. It's a very decentralized, organic philosophy, looking at this whole money as energy and mm -hmm. money as how it transpires and, and flows through the world. And there's energy leakage in our current financial system. And oh, Bitcoin sure. is, a way to, is a way to store energy without leakage. Just bringing it out there, I think bringing Bitcoin community Holistic medicine and regenerative farming on one table. I think that would be tough. That would be really cool. Maybe we'll set that up as a panel discussion sometime. I love it. Yeah. Well, look, so there's one more kind of broader question that I'd like to cover before we wrap up today. And so far, we've been talking about how to look at health in a more holistic way and the diverse considerations to try and get back to a state of health. But you got into this originally in, I guess, sports and performance optimization. Is there a big difference between recovery and rebuilding of a system to get to a baseline of health and then going beyond that and trying to fine tune and optimize performance? Or are these the same patterns that then just get applied in a different way as you start to get into optimization? Great question. It's the same thing. Yeah. Biolog yes, biologically speaking, it's the same thing. It's just cells using energy to create more energy efficiency by building up tissues and reformulating tissues. Like for example, when you when you go run, why do you why do you become faster? Or why does it cost you less energy when you do it the next time? It's because, for example, there's many things that happen, but for example, in your Achilles tendon, the fibrocytes that are in this tendon they say, hey, let's just build more collagen fiber here because then we have a passive way of storing and releasing energy and we don't have to do all the work. Or the muscle cells up there, they don't do have, have to do all the work. When Oliver always runs this way with these ground contact times, I think the best way, best thing to do is to put this much collagen here, this much other fiber stuff here, and then it's the best way for the speed at which Oliver runs to store and release energy and we don't have to do shit. So that's the way the body works all the time. It always tries to find way to position and reposition tissue, be it bone material, nervous tissue, uh, or other tissue, fibrous tissues, in a way to more efficiently store, release, transport, whatever do with energy. <laughs> so that's the, that's the process. And that's the same process as healing from disease, as uh, getting to a next level and, and performing to the highest levels of, as a world championship what's different is dr story <laughs> so mm. people who get to the highest level of any endeavor in the world they have a very specific story running in their minds and for to many other people this story sounds dramatic and crazy but that's what brings them to these really crazy elite performances um yeah, but in a way, everybody has a really, really wild and crazy story. Like also a family, a father or, or a mother, they have, they have their ideas of how to navigate everything in life because life is not only one game we play because even the ice hockey professional, he plays ice hockey, right? And he has to win that game. 
but he has to win it in a way to also not sacrifice the next games. And he has to win those games in a way to not sacrifice the next season. And he has to win those seasons in a way to not sacrifice his relationship with his wife and his kids. Mm. And he has to win that game in a way to not sacrifice the school performance of his son. So we like to say life is a meta game. It's a game of games. And everybody has their strategy to play those games to not sacrifice all the other games that are important to me. And that's always for everybody a pretty wild and crazy ride and crazy story how everybody approaches that. So I see I see differences there, but from a biological perspective, uh, or regeneration and adaptation, they are the same. And I actually, I called this institute Mojo Institute of Regeneration Medicine or Regenerative Medicine. And it was a mistake. I should not have done that because people think this means they come here to just get wellness and uh, sauna treatment. So we stopped using that word because for me, regeneration is adaptation. Mm -hmm. For me, I, I thought everybody everybody gets that, but people don't get that. So <laughs> we, we stopped using that word. So regenerative medicine is adaptive medicine. I think. Yeah. I think it's very similar in farming. Regenerative farming is adaptive farming. It's a it's a way to grow the processes of the future and not only recover what's what has been. Regeneration is not recovery. Recovery is getting to a status that we've been before. But regeneration is way more than that. Regeneration puts yourself in a position to grow out of your status, to grow forward, to aim up and grow forward. I want to go back to that thing that you mentioned a second ago is that or have you noticed commonalities among the story that the top performers that you've worked with have? You said that there is almost a manic or, or a crazy story that drives them to these higher levels. What's common about that? I think one broad commonality is that they believe in potential. And just as like a very platonic idea, abstract idea of there's more, there's potential. Like people that are not getting it to this level, they have more of a static idea of like, this is reality and that's how it is. But like people to get to this level, they, they see themselves as people who define what people perceive as real. Like mm. they, they, they say, well, it's not there, then I'm going to fucking create it. Mm. Sir Roger Bannister, the first one to run under four minute mile, he was a physiologist, medical doctor, physiologist by trade. And he, he ran on the side, basically, and he wanted to be the first guy to run under a minute. Like everybody said, it's impossible. Uh, under four minutes, four miles. And he had like 10 people that tried the same pursuit on an elite level. So they always had those competitions and they would run like four minutes, three seconds, four minutes, two seconds, four minutes, three seconds again. And it went on like this over seven or eight years, the same group of 10 people who almost got there. And then Sir Roger Bannister on, what, on that one specific afternoon, he ran 3.59. Half a year later, six other people did it as well. Like one, one guy showed that it's possible and then it's way easier for everybody else. Mm. So I think that's one of those really broad, like they are maniacs in a way. They are really, they, you cannot convince them otherwise. And that, and you cannot convince them otherwise because that's just how their mind works. They say, well, of course you cannot convince me because you are not real. I'm going to create what's real. I'm going to show you. You're just a non-believer. Mm -hmm. That's so powerful. I mean, there's 
there's a small line, obviously, between genius and madness in a way. But like that's what I see in most elite human beings. I don't like the word elite. Like everybody's elite, right? But like who, who really set the stage new. Like they create something that hasn't been there, and they are maniacs in that way. They believe in potential more than they believe in reality. You can't convince a person like that that it's not possible. <laughs> they're just not gonna. They're just not gonna accept. It. <laughs> they're gonna. There's do a level it. of creativity, but also hard-headedness in that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You gotta be stupid. Optimistic be... disagreeability. <laughs> oh yeah, yes, yes, yes. I love that. I love working with people like that. And, and they're in all they're in all realms of life. They they can be um, in sports, but they can also be in business. And I also see it in you as well. Like for example, you build something that hasn't been there, and you want to create it, and you want to build it. You just show it to people. You say, "Hey, I figured this out. Let's see." And um, Everybody has it in them in a way, right? but some people just have it have more craziness than others. Well, so then there's got to be balance in that for a lot of people. Um, you know, these these top performers are perhaps very hyper developed in a certain area. But when we're talking about health for most people, uh, well, yeah, probably them as well, there must be an element of balance in there. You can't be so hyper developed in some area that it drastically compromises your ability to function or to uh, maybe even uh, downgrade and reach peace in another aspect of your life. How does balance fit into the coaching and the development of health that you work with with your clients? Man, ask ask that question to those really really elite people. Or those <laughs> yeah. Like balance is not a concept they work with in a way, you know. Like, right. but that's probably not also the level of health that most people would actually strive for in a day to day life, right? It does come with compromises and other aspects it does of the come with compromise and it does come with sacrifices. Yeah. And sacrifices like look at this. Look let, let's look at it this way. We have so many brain cycles per day. I don't know how many, a couple billion, whatever. We have so many brain cycles per day. Like where do we dedicate our brain cycles? Because when we dedicate our brain cycles in a direction or our soul cycles, whatever your ontology wants to be there. You have so many cycles per day. Where do you direct that attention? This is where the energy goes. This is where the body follows, where the whole adaptive process follows. And when you're so single-minded, so single attention span on one thing, you sacrifice everything else. And those are simple things. It's not going out to party with people, but it's also even being anywhere near being able to develop any form of relationship that can also be like it's it's a form of autism in a way if you like. like they're so single-minded and they just do it and they don't care about anything else and obviously there's a spectrum right there's these people and there's everything else like there's it's a spectrum like some people are less single-minded they're also good with relationships other people are very well balanced they're not good in like specifically good in any one realm but they have everything else really balanced man i I just think whatever floats your boat, um, obviously we can say from an outside perspective, somebody whose only purpose is to lift this barbell higher than before or more heavy than before, we could say, well, that's not healthy. Goddamn right it's not. It's not healthy. But that's not that's not what he's in. That's, he's not in there. He's, he's, he's in there to write something in the books that people are talk about, about millennia. That's... That's his part of the story. That he doesn't care. He doesn't care if he's broken and injured by fifty. It's like, and who am I? I've been in I've been in strength conditioning and performance my whole life, and 
I always also try to find that balance of like educate also like okay are you sure you want to do this because like I know people who've done this they failed they didn't make these three books and they also lost their family like what what price are you willing to pay here and there's definitely this, this, this aspect of balance. And what I found, especially later in the career, at least in team sports, not so much in individual sports, but in team sports, the most successful athletes in later stages of the career, at least, they are this type of balance. They have hobbies that are not the sport. They have uh, families and they take good care of their families. And they see their sport as a professional job they do to nurture uh, their families. Uh, I see that as basically the 80% foundation of most team sports. Those those guys carry. But then there's also those freaks. They, they sacrifice anything else and they, they score the big goals. And it's fascinating. I don't have I don't have the answers, but who <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's an interesting question because it's going to look different for everybody. And I got to say, probably the most valuable thing for me personally, and having run this podcast now for I mean, it's in the seventh year, is I've had a window into speaking with some of the people that I've admired most from my career perspective, right, who have reached the epitome of what I would strive for in different aspects of my career, whether that's being a designer, a consultant, a, a, a someone who goes in and installs ecosystems or or who, you know, uh, sets up profitable and, and successful farms or is a, is a teacher, you know, of a wide range of interests. But I've gotten to have the conversations that don't make it on the air either before or after the podcast and get a window into what their reality is like and how they're living and the cost or the sacrifice that was required for them to reach those heights. And if nothing else, it has caused me to reflect on my own journey yes. in aspiring towards those and ask myself, is it worth it? Am I also willing to sacrifice those things to achieve something similar? And yes. in most cases, I have dialed things back and been like, no, actually, it is not worth me sacrificing my relationship to my partner or being yes. estranged from my family or constantly having an online persona to the point where uh, I fear for my security. I've heard that story too, mm -hmm. you know? And man, that, you know, getting this concept of balance and what is required to achieve things at a high level, regardless of the aspect in which you're comparing yourself to, has done the most probably to inform the trajectory and the decisions that I make while I find my way and navigate this into my own version of personal health, career health, family health, and community interactions that that sustain us you know that perspective has been really valuable i would yes. imagine that you've reflected on this quite a lot for yourself as well oh definitely definitely that's 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 very powerful and there's um like we can argue spiritually but there are certain rules that we brought into this game here and some of those rules are manifested in what we call physics some of those rules are manifest in what we call evolutionary biology. And one of those rules in evolutionary biology, at least, is there's no free lunch. Like there are no good options. There are no bad options. There's only trade-offs. Yeah. And you want A, you're not gonna have as much at least of B. And that's that's basically the attention span, the energy, wherever you want to divide things, the resources, the resources are limited. 
and we can wish for unlimited resources, but they're not. So we get no free lunch. And then we have this idea of sacrifice. And just like you said, you don't get to get to pick and choose. Uh, and I agree. Most people who made it in, in certain realms this far, they, they say themselves also, you don't want the full package. I know Elon, Elon Musk says it all, all the time. He says, you don't want to be me. And I, even I say it sometimes. I'm a, I'm a small fish, but like some, sometimes people come up to me and say, hey, Gary, can I consult with you? I feel I find it so inspiring and powerful what you do. And I want to be like the like you. I said, well, I don't think so in a way. Like, <laughs> or at least you know very well what you're getting yourself into, not only the parts yeah. that you see from the outside. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You only get the full package. Yeah, yeah. Man, there's so much further we could go into all of these topics that we explored today, but we're about running out of time. Garrett, I hope I can count on you to do a follow-up session. Maybe we can even get a blockchain person in here to spice up the conversation too. Yeah. Uh, but I, I really appreciate your time. Before you go, can you tell our listeners how they can learn more about your work and get in touch with you? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, you, can, you can find our institute at mojo-institute.de. We do not have an international homepage yet. Um, we're based in Germany, mojo-institute.de. You can find my Instagram at performance.doc. Performance doc. Yeah, basically that's where I hang out the most. Um, basically on the homepage, give us a visit. If you're in the area, Cologne or Frankfurt Airport, come come by, stop by, look at this. Uh, what we do here, you can spend a day or two here. It's pretty nice also. We have some regenerative farming projects in the area that our colleague Anya uh, is very knowledgeable of and, and she can introduce you to the people. Um, yeah, awesome. Thanks for having me. Hey, it's been my pleasure. I look forward to being in touch. I'll talk to you again soon. Okay. Right, thank you. Thanks once again to Garrett and also to my good friend Anya who put me in touch with him originally. I'll put all of the links to the contact and the resources that he listed just before we left and you'll be able to find all of those on the show notes for this episode at regenerativeskills.com. Now before we wrap this up, just remember that these episodes are only the beginning of the learning resources, design and coaching services, in-person courses, and interactive community that are available through Regenerative Skills. The Discord server is our free community where you can connect with other like-minded listeners, exchange ideas, stories, tips, and resources, as well as interact with me directly and quite a few former guests from the show. Our Instagram account, at regen underscore skills, is the best place to see the projects that me and the team are working on, both for clients and collaborators, as well as on our own properties. I'll also be announcing the certification courses, workshops, and gatherings that we've got coming up later this year. If you're interested in getting dedicated support for your own project, you can now schedule a free planning session with one of our team members through the request form on our website. You can also find all the links, show notes, and past resources there at regenerativeskills.com. We truly believe that no matter your experience, your knowledge, abilities, resources, or background, you can be a powerful force for regeneration on this planet, and we're here to help you find your path. So as always, remember to keep taking those little steps every day towards a regenerative future, and I'll be right by your side along the way.